just what a marvelous God we have. And what a great opportunity it is today to, to celebrate Harvest Sunday and reflect on the, the, the wonderful, generous, loving God that we have. A study was uh, done by a psychologist who teaches at Harvard University in the States. Uh, he had a hunch about this and he tried to do some research on it. And his suggestion was right from the very beginning that if we train our brains to be more grateful uh, by setting aside just five minutes a day, practicing gratitude, something changes in our life. So they did a one-week study. So they asked some people to, to do this particular exercise, to take a particular time, same time of every day, and write three things that they are thankful for. And different people put different things, very simple, uh, but concrete and specific things. Things like, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that my daughter gave me a hug. I'm grateful for the wonderful uh, Chinese meal I had last night. I'm grateful for my understanding boss at work. Just daily uh, sort of occurrences that would create gratitude. And they did it for a whole week. But the interesting thing that was probably surprising to the researchers was that after they stopped doing it, their life still had an impact upon from that exercise that they did. And it carried on even six months or 12 months down the line. Just one week they did that thing. So they didn't carry it on, just did it for a week. But it had an impact that was long-lasting for quite a while. And I think it just shows the power of a, a, a really intentional, repetitive habit that can have an impact upon our lives. The people were Israel, of Israel, under God's teaching, they were unto something. Because they had a whole host of festivals. And, and, and some of you who do reading the Bible through the year back to back, you'll, you get to those places in Leviticus and Deuteronomy that you kind of think, what on earth is all this about? It feels very intimidating because it's, it's strange, it's different, it's not something that we are accustomed to. But actually there is an incredible wisdom in understanding the principles behind some of those festivals. And really, what I want to do is, as we look at uh, maybe a couple of issues that I think connect with our Harvest Time and Harvest Sunday, connecting with the, 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 some of the feasts that Israel observed. And I think for the people of God in the Old Testament, those feasts, those festivals that they observed were very significant because it was a reminder of their identity. It reminded them of who they were. I mean, you know, we have birthdays, <laughs> and it's after you go past a certain age, you'd rather not celebrate them. When you're younger, you love them, and it's exciting. You know, you, you just turn 10. I mean, that's really exciting. You know, and after you go past, I'm not looking at anybody. After you go past a certain age and you hit certain landmarks, it's not that exciting, actually, at all. But in reality for us, as Christians, even a birthday should be something that should be celebrated because it's God's faithfulness that we are where we are in that birthday. And for them, it was a matter of identity. It was reminding them who they were and whose they were. And that's why it was absolutely essential that they celebrate that. And through the writings of Moses, he was establishing those patterns in their lives. And the interesting thing about those festivals, they were community events. 
So he, was in, he wasn't just a singular event that people celebrated on their own, but they celebrated them together. And again, this is a lost art. We have forgotten to celebrate things together as a community, saying we're all in this together. This is part of our identity. But for them, it was important to observe those things. So I'm trying to make some parallels. And we're going to delve into Leviticus 23. And there's two things this morning I want us to look I think harvest time is a good time to express gratitude. And that's a vertical dimension. It's to do with our worship and our relationship with God. Leviticus 23, verses 9 to 14, if you want to open and track with me. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I am going to give you and you reap its harvest, Bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain of your harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. On the day you weave the sheaf, you must bring a sacrifice as a burnt offering to the Lord. A lamb. A year old without defect, together with its grain offering of two tenths of an ephra of the finest flour mixed with olive oil. A food offering presented to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, and its drink offering of a quarter of a hin of wine. You must not eat any bread or roast of new grain until the very day you bring this offering to your God. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. This is one of those feasts. This was important to be done as they were entering into the promised land. They could have been overtaken by the emotion and the excitement of the fact that they got into the promised land. It's like Christmas Day when you're a kid and you're opening the presents and the wrapping just gets taken apart and, and, and you're just so taken over by the emotion. They could have been so excited to be in the promised land that they could have forgotten who got them there. And this is why this is instituted, this act of worship through the sacrificial bringing of some of the produce. It was grain, it was a sacrifice of a lamb, it was wine, it was olive oil, it was the flour. Everything was being brought before God as a way of saying, thank you, God. It was an acknowledgement that it was God who brought them there. It's so easy for any single one of us. We have this sinful gravitational pull towards selfishness. And it would have been so easy for the people of Israel to feel like they won the victory. It was their sweat and blood that got them there. But this act of community worship was a way of gathering together and saying, Declaring it very intentionally and very detailed in the way they did it. This is all about God. The God that we come to bring our thanks to and to show our gratitude to. Instead of being self-congratulatory, patting themselves on the back saying, well done us. This was a way of opening up and saying, thank you God. It is all because of you that we are here. It is your provision, 
You are the God who brought us out of Egypt. You are the God who provided the crops. You are the God that provided the herds of the animals. You are the God that provided the fruits. It is all about you. And praise is due to you. Thanksgiving is due to you because of what you've done. And to go through all that whole rigmarole, you know, to us it looks a little bit weird and boring. But actually it's incredibly significant. They do it because in the moment that they do it, they're going through it. And it's a reminder. And it's a declaration. And it's a sense of rooting ourselves down again. And acknowledging that God is the one who provides. God is the one who deserves the thanks and the praise. I'm sure all of you have very interesting times at those moments when you share food. One of the most distinct, uh, distinctive things that I observed, I, I, I sort of started attending church uh, around the age of nine, nine and a half. And uh, my parents were religious but non-church attending, very nominal, um, and really had very little um, interaction with Christianity uh, apart from going to one of the um, midnight Easter uh, services in the Orthodox Church, which is actually quite sensational. But, you know, for a child under nine, it was terribly dull and very achy for my feet. In the Orthodox Church, you don't have pews. You stand throughout all the service. And Easter celebration is pretty long. So I had no, no, no real understanding. And uh, then uh, during a time of holiday, some friends of ours, uh, who the wife and the daughter, who are similar age to me, were born-again believers going to a Baptist church. On the Sunday I was with them, they said, why won't you come to church? And so I started attending church. But the first thing that I noticed, actually, that really surprised me, was that when I was visiting and staying, you know, and, and, and going to visit some of these, they used to be called the repented, you know, uh, the, these uh, born-again believers, these evangelicals. Whenever I would be with the repented, they always did this weird thing where they stood up around the dinner table before they ate and they prayed. I'd never seen that before. It was quite freaky. I just thought, what's going on? And obviously, as a sort of child that age, I was thinking, are they going to ask me to pray? Uh, it was kind of always the, the dad, the head of the house, that prayed most of the time. But they prayed. And they always prayed these prayers like, not the prayers I've heard before, that you know, my parents, my granddad gave me a, a book of prayers. And they were like set prayers that you read out. Th- these were prayers that were normal. We just talk to God and thank God about the food in a way that's very normal and very real and very sincere. And it struck me. Fast forward this, years and years, I have been in many homes now of friends of mine, you know, some of them even leaders, where I'm actually, and I'm not taking a dig, but I'm taking a dig. I was actually deeply embarrassed on God's behalf for the prayers that were being said and the way the prayers were being said into what they were modeling the future generations. It seemed like a meaningless habit, sometimes even mockingly done. We might as well do this. I just thought, let's come back to that sense of gratitude. 
And what an incredible thing when we stand around the table as a family to stop and to think, what is this? I was thinking this as I was always preparing. I never, honestly, I never pray the day before for the food that I need to get for the day after. Do any of you? I don't. It's not on my prayer list. I don't say, God, I need three meals and some snacks in between. I don't. I don't. And God provides it. What, what an, and that's just one thing, one small thing. And the people of Israel understood that those rhythms were absolutely essential. And of course, you can get into, you know, just legalistic, meaningless. That's not what I'm talking about. And you know I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about those rhythms that are healthy and important to remind ourselves who we are and whose we are and who's put that food on the table. It's not my sweat. And it's not the money that you guys pay for my salary. You know, it is, but it's not. It is the Lord. It is the Lord that provides. And the people of Israel understood that. And right at the very beginning, as they entered the promised land, the first thing that they did, the foremost priority for them was let's thank God. Let's show our gratitude to God. Let's come into worship and acknowledge that he's the provider, the generous provider of everything that we have. And I think this is an incredible challenge for us to be thankful. This is countercultural. We are absolutely swimming in a culture of discontent. Complaining could be a British hobby. It's true. I do it. I'm sure you do it. You put on the news, you put in the talk shows, you put on anything. You go on Twitter. No, don't go on Twitter. You know, it's just mayhem. You know, I go on the Villa football boards. You know, guess what it's about? Complaints, 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 complaints. In our case, very justified. But we live in this culture of discontent. We're, we're not happy about this. We're not happy about that. If they do it like this, we're not happy. If they don't do it like this and they do it like that, we're not happy. And I'm concerned that this is sipping into our hearts as followers of Jesus. This is sipping into the church. That whatever we do, we find a reason to be discontented. And when it comes to gratitude and gratefulness and thankfulness, we kind of get an F minus. And this is a good reminder on Harvest Sunday to look at the Israelites and the way they put these incredibly helpful rhythms to build in gratitude expressions and thankfulness. And my encouragement to us is, is maybe to think in our own context, and in your own context as a family, this is again about communities, and your family is a micro-community in that. How do you creatively build in moments of gratitude intentionally? Put them in. Because I tell you what, the complaining won't need putting in. It will just come. It will come at you thick and fast. Let's counteract that with a way of acknowledging that in everything that we are, in everything that we do, it is all because of him. It is all through him. Radically expressive. You know, when we open it up for prayer in a church gathering, 
How about us pastors really struggling to shut you up because you just won't stop being thankful to God? That's what I'm saying. Let's cultivate that. It won't come naturally. Let's cultivate that. And I don't have a recipe that works for you. You need to be the one that maybe just goes home after this Harvest Sunday and says, hey, you know, I'm going to work at some stuff for my own life, and we're going to work maybe at some stuff for the family. You, you know, and, uh, and, and we're just going to work together at building in these moments every day or through the week where we're just going to make sure we, we acknowledge whose we are. And who we are as a result of it. And lift our eyes up. And make sure that he gets the glory. And he gets the thanks. And it's never ever about us. And about our achievements. And the other thing that's really important in this. In, 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 in what the Israelites were doing this. It, it says right at the very end. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Wherever you live. This is a didactic exercise. It was meant to teach the generations to come. And very aptly, Moses is saying, wherever you are, he knew they were going to be in hostile contexts where culturally this would have been challenging and they would have been tempted to forget their identity. I think Daniel and his friends, their parents, practiced this. That's why you had a bunch of young men who are put into a culture that was trying to brainwash them and change their identity, who remained solidly grounded in their identity as Israelites who were worshipping the living God, Yahweh. It is because they went through that experience in their formative years. And this is why it's important as well. And I'm saying, what is it you're doing in your context as a nana or a granddad or a mom and a dad or an older brother or older sister? What are you doing in your context? Or maybe somebody in the church. We will have kids that will come into the church. They don't have a mom and a dad and a grandma and a granddad and an older brother who go to church. They may be the only ones who go to church. What are we doing to form within them this Beautiful instinct of thanking God, acknowledging what God does for them. How do we do that? It's a creative exercise that I want to give you for you to think through. How do you teach that in your family environment? What are the things that you put in? I mean, I love family traditions, and I am always fascinated about Christmas family traditions. Everybody does it different, but everybody has a way of doing it that is very specific and very unique. And actually, it celebrates something about the identity of that family. How about doing the same with gratitude and thankfulness to teach the generations to come about God's providence and what he does? The other thing that they do apart from that expressing gratitude vertically towards God, it's something that they do horizontally towards the people around them. And this is a good thing at harvest to think through. And we're delving into Deuteronomy chapter 24, just uh, three verses from Deuteronomy 24, verse 19 all the way to 22. This is, again, what Moses is saying. When you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not get back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you and all the work of your hands. 
When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave the remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. So not just a sense of gratitude vertically, but a sense of generosity horizontally. And the two are interconnected. And actually, the horizontal generosity flows out of that vertical gratitude. And that's why, right at the very end, he says, remember you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. Remember you were in the same situation again. And our natural tendency is to, to try to get as much for ourselves. Again, it's that sinful gravitational selfish pull that it's, it's let me get as much for myself. It's, uh, it's, it's a thing, thing I observed. I, you know, I'm an amateur sociologist. Uh, I like to watch people in a non-creepy way. So, have you noticed that now in the supermarkets, when they bring the discounted stuff, at least what they do now are local, you know, they have this yellow barrier that the person, the staff member who's putting the discounted items from the trolley, there is this yellow barrier that is being put. Have you ever wondered why? It's because normally... The hoax are out. When the discounted items are out, the hoax are out. And again, social observer, you know, just love it. And I, and I make judgments. I look at the clothing that people wear. And sometimes I even see the cars they get into. And I tell you what, they are expensive cars. And they are fine clothing. And they go, and it's like, there's some... Mints discounted. I'm not going to get just one. I'm going to get five of that. And what would go nice with mints? Oh, there's some trifle there. Let's get some trifle. I mean, it's random kind of, you know, combinations. It's not as if somebody has already prepared things. Oh, I was planning to do some, something with mints. You get the idea. We're selfish. We're selfish. And the Israelites would have been selfish in their natural self. And God is building in something very significant. He's encouraging them to be fighting that natural tendency for hoarding and selfishness. And he's encouraging them to have thoughtfulness towards others. And the categories are spelled repeatedly in almost kind of with nausea. You know, you can see again and again the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. The foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. And it's spelled with regards to every eye. As if, you know, somebody would say, oh, I didn't know about the olives. It's in there. <laughs> it's in there. Oh, I thought it was only grain. No, olives too. Anything. Leave those things behind. Don't be hoarding. Don't take every little last bit of it. Think of others. And this was about community. The widows and the fatherless. And the foreigners who were in the community. It was about those who had less. 
It was about those whose lives may have been less fortunate and they were struggling. That you had to keep in mind when you left some of those things behind. Fighting that instinctive greed and making sure that those things were left there. This was not just for your own family. This was for the whole community. Oh, I'm just living some for my brother or my sister-in-law. No, 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 that's not what it's about. It's about a sacrifice. It's about thinking about the wider group, thinking about us all, not just mine. And it would have been sacrificial. Because maybe the things that we're leaving behind could have meant a couple of extra weeks or extra months of food. But that's what was inbuilt in the DNA of God's people with regards to being generous towards those who are less fortunate and possibly destitute. And this would have meant a sacrifice and a loss that they were to gladly embrace, remembering their time in Egypt, remembering their times when God provided for them and how difficult it was for them being in that situation. And again, it goes without saying that it is important for us to look at our own lives. And I, I don't really know what it looks like for us. Again, it's a, it's a creative exercise that has to be customized individually because I don't know what your life looks like and you don't know what my life looks like. But I'm pretty sure that we all struggle with, with greed. And we need to ask the question before the Lord, Lord, am, am I greedy? And it's not about... Uh, George Muller, very wise, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to do a poor quotation of him but his his line was something uh, uh, that went it isn't about how much I give away but how much I keep for myself and it is that sense in which we all have to evaluate our own lives before the Lord and ask the question Lord am I greedy am I greedy what 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 would it look in my life to be generous like you're commanding the Israelites to be thinking of others. What does that mean? And God would speak to us through his Holy Spirit and through the scriptures to each one of us individually about that tendency. And it is about that thing. It's not how much you give. Because you can have somebody who proportionally gives a lot more than other people. But actually what they keep back is so huge. And my encouragement to us is to just simply have the honesty to come before the Lord and say, it's not about other people to dictate in our own lives what we should be doing on this. And again, sometimes churches get overzealous and church leaders get overzealous and they start, you know, kind of ruling over other people's finances. This is not what it's about. This is about the Lord. He He's the king. He's the giver. He is the sovereign one. And he's the one that speaks to us individually. We have that relationship with him. And it is about our honesty, uh, vulnerable honesty, in which we come and say, Lord, let's talk about this. Show me. Where is the greed in my life? And what do I need to do? What do I need to change with regards to that? Because I don't want to be a greedy person. I want to be a generous person. And God will show us. And the other thing that I think is helpful is exposing ourselves to causes that actually, through which God can break our hearts. Sometimes we become so very apt at shielding ourselves. We, we don't want to see the mess that's around us sometimes in other people's lives. Just in case our hearts might get touched 
and our wallets might get opened. And we form this, you know, kind of, it's like a sport, isn't it? You kind of think, I'm not going to go to that meeting. It's a missionary meeting. I'm not going to go to that meeting because I know that God might be speaking to me. And I've got, I've got an excess 20 pounds. It's not a lot, but it's an excess 20 pounds that could be using to go out for a nice meal with myself and a friend of my. Well, probably for 20 pounds you won't. This is in the good, good old days. You know, I'm not going to go to the, I'm, I'm not going to go to the missions meeting because I know God will speak to me. And if he speaks to me, I'm going to give that 20 pounds and I'm not going to go out for my meal. And we, we, we form that barrier, self-protected barrier, instead of letting God break our hearts. Let's not do that. We're called to be incarnational. We're called to live in the world that we live in. Let's allow God to open our eyes and open our hearts. One of the, and this is not a big me kind of thing, but one of, one of the, 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 I was invited to become a governor here at Canford High. And I remember going to the first two or three governor meetings. And I felt, honestly, I felt like somebody who's a non-Christian comes to church probably for the very first time. And he has all sorts of gobbledygook that they don't understand what it means. And people say words and you're thinking, what does that even mean? You know, power hour. What's power hour? What's going on? You know, is that when they turn the light off or turn the light on? What's power hour? You know, and all, all this, you know, awake. What's awake? You know. And they were using terminology uh, that is professional terminology that I, pff, honestly, and it was like, you got this and you got that and you got that. And I didn't understand. And I thought to myself, Lord, why am I here? Why am I here? I don't understand any of this. This is so over my head. You know, I'm in my mid-40s, and I'm sat in this meeting, and I haven't got a clue what these people are talking about. It's like a foreign language. But I persevered with it. And I managed to find my niche. I managed to learn things, and I began to understand a lot. But one of the most amazing things, there is not one governor meeting that I'm coming back from, walking or driving, that I'm not weeping. Because I see a world that, frankly, from here... I will never see, and a world that you don't see. I see a world right here, right in this place, all the way to Hesham, all the way into some of the villages around us. I see a world that you don't see. You don't even know it exists. Absolutely no idea. Absolutely no idea. The fact that the mom would bribe her 11-year-old to babysit with cigarettes. That's in our local community. That's the world we live in. <laughs> Ellie's nodding. She's thinking, I can tell you a lot worse. But that's the reality. So I'm saying, let's pray and say to God, God, just show me. Show me what our world is really like. And this is not to do, nothing to do with class. Nothing to do with money. There's people with loads of money that are suicidal. And, and see no point in living. Y- you know, the desperation... Doesn't, doesn't have any respect with regards to that. But I think if we truly want to become people who are generous, and generosity isn't just about money, it's about time. And time is so expensive nowadays, isn't it? I think time is one of the most valuable assets that we have. Because it is expensive, we don't have a lot of it, but it actually is very precious. You know, a loving heart. Sometimes you can engage with somebody and show generosity through giving your heart to them. And that's, again, like C.S. Lewis used to say, that's a dangerous place to be because they could really break your heart. 
and you spend time and you help them out and you know and, and then they turn their back towards you. But God is calling us to be generous with our time, with our resources, with ourselves. That's what people are longing so much for. And the people of Israel understood that and they brought those things before God as a sign of being thankful, and then they shared with the things that God had given them with those who were struggling and didn't have enough. But there is one secret I want to live with you as we close this morning. All this, being grateful towards God and being generous towards others, is impossible, truly impossible, without Jesus being your Savior. And your king. So this morning, I'm not calling you to good works. If you don't know Jesus, you can't live like that. You can never be grateful to God truly. You can never be generous sacrificially. Because what drives us is knowing Jesus and receiving his own generosity towards us. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It's the, the most significant passage in the New Testament, I think, on giving. And he writes to the Corinthians, encouraging them to be generous. And he says to them, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart, not reluctantly, under compulsion. Because God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And then he finishes, you know, saying, look, what you give will encourage those who will receive and they will bring praise to God. And then he says this in verse 14, in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace of God that has been given to you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What makes us like that? What can make us thankful to God? What can make us generous towards others? It is simply this. We have discovered that God himself, through Jesus' coming and giving his life on the cross for our sin, is a generous God. Why can we be grateful? Why can we be generous? It's because we've discovered Jesus. And that's at the very heart of a transformed person who turns from being selfish into being selfless. And I want to say this morning to you, if you never experienced that, everything that I've said to you before and you're trying to live that out, it's never going to work. Because first and foremost, you need to discover Jesus, the gift of God, the gift that God generously gave to people who didn't deserve it, like me and you. To acknowledge that, and receive that gift. And as Jesus comes into our life by his spirit, he begins to transform us from the inside out. And instead of being hoarding selfish people, we actually become people who are generous. People who are grateful. Who both horizontally and vertically, we are those who say, thank you God. And we're showing that through being generous with other people. That's a secret that we all must know in order to live this transformed life. I love how the psalmist 
I'm going to get Ellie and the band to come up. I love how the psalmist expresses this. Psalm 103, this is what a psalmist is writing. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things. That is our God. The God that is worth celebrating. The Lord that gave us so much through Christ and who gives us so much every day.